You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. This is Dr. Saba Maruf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. everybody and welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes Stories to Inspire. I'm your host Dr. Saba Maruf and our purpose here is to share amazing and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers and change makers in our communities. And we really hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we'll inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. You can find us on Facebook and um, you can look up all uh, our posts of our previous episodes episodes and um, also on our website podcastdetroit.com and you can find us on iTunes and we're back up on Instagram. I kind of lost that account for a few months but we're back so follow us on Unsung Heroes Stories. So I'm super excited today. Um, I have been wanting to have uh, someone very dear um, to me um, for quite some time so I'm really excited because she's a very busy person doing amazing things, and I'm just so happy that she's taking time out for us today to share her story and um, and you know just share uh, her words of wisdom. Um, and today we have on Melanie Alturk. Hi, Melanie. Hi, it's so great to be with you. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy that you were able to take some time out. I really do appreciate your time and energy and your enthusiasm. Um, so yeah, welcome to My the show. Pleasure. So Melanie is a founder and CEO of the leading U.S. hijab brand. Okay, so hot hijab or ate. How do you say that exactly? Because <laughs> um, I always say hot hijab. That's what I would say. That's right. Yeah, I always everyone that word says up. hot hijab. I say it sometimes too. That totally works. But we say it, we we pronounce it hot hijab. Yeah, I should have asked you um, before. <laughs> the French way really is haute hijab without the H is silent in French. Um, but hot hijab works. I think that's easier on the American tongue. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what, okay. And we'll talk about that too. Um, but it it's an amazing um, an amazing um, company and brand that you started in 2010. And she is a significant thought leader in modest fashion. She really made waves earlier this year when her brand created a new category in fashion luxury hijabs. So she's a former civil rights attorney, and Melanie brings her passion for social justice into the fashion industry as she sets out to normalize hijab in the mainstream and build the world's first global hijab brand. In addition to speaking around the world as a modest fashion expert, she's also a regular contributor on L.com and has been featured in the New York Times, NBC Today, USA Today, Glamour, In Style, and others. And she's a native She's a native Michigander, now living in New York, and um, so, you know, we've known each other back in the day, but it's just, like, so amazing to see the things that you're doing and how you're supporting so many Muslim women around the country and around the world. Um, So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My goodness, that was a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been doing a lot. Um, You've really been just... um, 
you know, I love following everything that you're doing. And really, I think the big, a really huge thing is just the support that you provide to women that, um, that do choose um, to wear the hijab. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. But um, first, uh, Melanie, tell us a little bit about your background and growing up in Michigan and a little bit about your early, early experiences as a young Muslim growing up in America. Sure. Well, like you said, you and I, I believe we're both from even the same city. You're from Troy, right? Mm-hmm. I think we were in Sunday school together. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. We were definitely in <laughs> Sunday sure. school together. <laughs> um, I, I'll never forget that. You yeah. were, you were, you're a little older than me, yeah. so you were the cool older girls. You were part of that crew oh, that I, I could I've never be a part of. Really? Always cool. looked up to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you were always that cool girl, and um, it's so cool to to just stay in touch all these years and to see where everybody has gone and everybody, I feel like so many people from that time have gone on to do incredible things. Um, whether it's locally or nationally, it's just our, we have a really special community in Michigan, Mm -hmm. um, in short, but yeah, so I grew up, um, to immigrant parents. My dad is, is Lebanese. My mom is from the Philippines. She is not Muslim. My parents met in college. They both went to U of D Mercy. They came, both of them came on scholarship to that university from their home country to seek a better life for themselves and um, met, got married, had three children. And um, my parents divorced when I was five. And then by the time I was 10, I was raised by my dad from that time. He was a single dad. And then by the time I was 10, my dad remarried uh, a Lebanese woman. So that's when I learned Arabic. My stepmom had come from Lebanon and she studied French in school as opposed to English. And so um, she didn't really speak much English. So I had to learn and she had to learn. And so we both learn from one another. I picked up Arabic, she picked up English, and um, that's how I have that that Arabic background. Um, but I, yeah, so I went to a really, really rigorous high school called International Academy in Bloomfield Hills in Michigan. Oh, I didn't realize you went to IA. Um, I did, I did. We mm. were the third graduating class. Mm-hmm. So when I was a freshman, we didn't even have a senior class yet. It was so new. And um, it really prepared me for what was to come. College was such a breeze. I went to Wayne State on full scholarship. As a, I started as a sophomore as a result of the credits I got in the IB program. And um, from there, I went on to law school, which is where I had the biggest educational challenge. And really, my high school experience prepared me for that, especially being so young. I was 20 years old when I started law school. And mm-hmm. I think others saw me as some like prodigy, like this 20-year-old in law school. But to be honest, it was not to my benefit. I just didn't have the life experience to understand a lot of big concepts that we were learning mm-hmm. just from life experience alone. You know, when you're reading a case about real estate law and I don't have any experience renting or buying a home, um, or anything near that. I just didn't have a lot of the the experience that other kids did who were older than me. So that so I had to just rely on really really hard work and that um, rigorous academic training from high school really kicked in um, so that I was able to get through it successfully. And in law school is really when 
my passion for civil rights and social justice was triggered. I had always been that way my whole life. My blood would start to boil when issues of race were brought up in school, and I didn't know why I was so passionate or why it made me so intense, but it was always there. And then when I went to law school, I learned there's this thing called civil rights. I didn't even realize it was, you know, something people work towards. And so when your passion naturally aligns with your gifts and skill sets, for me, that was my training as an attorney, then it was just this beautiful culmination of, well, this must then be my purpose, Mm. um, which is to fight for the rights of everybody and to fight for social justice and equality for all. So that was really my my main focus, and it's what I went on to do after law school. And to a large degree, it's what I do now with this brand. Uh, it's certainly what's keeping me going um, because, you know, fashion is fun, and it's something I've always been really, really into. And, I'm, of course, I'm passionate about style and fashion, but um, certainly this broader social mission of Social justice and equality is really what keeps me up at night and what gets me up in the morning. Wow. Actually, that was one of uh, – I wanted to talk to you about that too. That um, um, That's really amazing. Um, and actually, that's, I'm sure, good for <laughs> any parents whose kids are at IA That because uh, it's, it's a really <laughs> – I mean, there's many – it's grown a lot. Actually, my brother was the first class there too um, in Bloomfield Hills. Um, but oh, my gosh. I know. I was like, oh, Who's I got to ask brother? you about this before. Samir. <laughs> But he didn't graduate. We had to move. And so he was just there till his junior year. Samir Maru. Oh, my gosh. I did not know. Why yeah. did I put two I'm like, two how together not... that that was your brother? Oh, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> it was such a small school. Everybody knew everybody. I totally remember Samir. Um, yeah. We, so we started with 150 kids. By the time senior came around, there were only 90 of us who graduated. It was really, wow. really difficult. And a lot yeah. of people just couldn't hang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. it was not easy, but that's good to know that. I mean, that that really helped you. Um, and that's really in, that's interesting. Actually, kind of reminds me of um, Michelle Obama was here. I finished her book last week, and then she was here speaking on Tuesday in Detroit. And she mm-hmm. talks about that how like you know we expect kids to know what they want to do for the rest of their life when they haven't even lived their lives, and for adults I to know. give them a little bit of a, of leeway. Um, but I think that's really interesting that your focus was on um, civil rights and social justice issues. And so as you have, um, and we'll go back to talking about how you started Hoda Hijab, but as you've pivoted careers, um, how do you how do you see your work at Hoda Hijab on the same path? Well, our mission at Hoda Hijab is to build a world where every woman feels comfortable and confident. And our emphasis is on Muslim women who wear hijab. And so in order to do that, you have to start with the foundations of why aren't women feeling comfortable or confident Mm -hmm. in their hijab. And a lot of that has to do with our political climate, with, with issues of disenfranchisement for Muslim women, for women alone. So baked into what we do and at the core of everything we do is this woman and how we can help serve her, empower her so that she feels confident. She feels beautiful in her hijab. She, it, it's second nature to her so that she can focus on the things that she wants to do in her life, in her career. Well, we'll take care of the hijab. We'll make it mm-hmm. easy for you. We'll make sure it's beautiful so you can feel beautiful so that you can focus on what's really important, which is just kicking ass in the world and <laughs> taking names and being the incredible, powerful women that we are. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really at the core of everything and every discussion we have goes back to, well, does this help support or fulfill our mission? Wow. Amazing. I really wish, um, so my co-host, as you know, is um, Calvin. He's the one that really inspired me and got me into podcasting. And it's so funny because every time I come in with a different hijab, he's like, wow, I like your I like your hijab today. And it's usually a hot hijab. So thank you, Melanie. <laughs> so I was hoping he'd be here today, but he couldn't make that's, it. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and, and honestly, we hear those stories all the time of girls who say, you know, I've had a coworker who has never spoken to me in all the years I've worked here. Until finally, one day she approached me and said, I really like your scarf. And so something so simple Mm -hmm. as a piece of fabric that you're wearing on your head can become that icebreaker that people need so that they don't feel as alienated or as foreign in this place where they already feel like they're an outsider. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I never, when somebody, the first time somebody had said that what we did really change their lives, I couldn't understand or grasp that because thankfully and alhamdulillah for me, I've I've never, I've just never struggled with hijab. And I think that I don't take that lightly. And I know that that is something that God has really cultivated so that I can do this work. But then when you hear from so many women who have struggled so hard and for me to know and understand their struggle and how our hijabs have helped them. Mm. It's it's like, how can I stop? How can I stop providing the service to these women? Wow. So you um, also said in one of, I think in a, one of the article, an article or an interview, I, I really like this quote. So you said, uh, growing up, I found it extremely difficult to find hijabs I felt confident in. For most of high school in the suburbs of Detroit, I owned two shabby hijabs from overseas parentheses they were terrible that made me feel anything but beautiful the only options at the mall nearby were neck scarves that were too thick never the right size and not designed to be washed after every use and i just had to laugh because that was me in high school too it's like i had these two like ratty black hijabs they had beads on the ends i think i whipped somebody in the face by accident with one of those beads and i didn't want to bring it (laughs) i was like oh my god sorry and i didn't want to bring attention to my it was weird because i was like wearing hijab and i was kind of proud of it but i didn't like to bring more attention to it than I have to because people didn't really dress up. I was thinking about why people didn't really dress up in high school. Everybody wore like very casual clothing and you didn't really have casual hijabs at that time. They had all these beads on it. And by the time I kept wearing them, they were just like, you know, pilling, pilling and like just threads are falling off. And exactly. So I just Mm -hmm. laughed when I read that quote. (laughs) I think many a woman you know, your age, older, my age, younger, we have that experience. And I can see, I know that hijab. I went to Sunday school too. I know what hijab you're talking about. It had gold beads. I know it exactly. And we all had it. It's like, like there was just one place where we all went and got hijabs. It was so terrible. And they were, and it was such an afterthought. No one had ever put enough thought into it for these thousands and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of women wearing hijab for us to feel better um, so yeah, that really does sum up my experience in hijab. And I don't know, despite that <laughs> terrible experience with it, I always tell these young girls, I'm like, y'all have it easy. You don't even know. <laughs> like we had click, two click hijabs. Online. They were, they were terrible quality. It was just the worst, but somehow we just got through it and didn't really think about it because we didn't have any other options. 
Yeah. Um, but the world is a different place today. Like you said, in high school, we just wore jeans and big baggy T-shirts and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. the, the runway that is high school today has changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. So you started the company um, with your husband, actually, I think it was in 2010. Um, tell us a little yeah, bit about right. that journey. Yeah. So, you know, I was working as an attorney. I had moved to Chicago where my husband is from right after marriage. And um, I didn't take the bar in Illinois. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. I was doing different odd jobs legally and it wasn't very fulfilling. And the reason I didn't take the bar is because we knew we were going to be moving overseas. And very quickly we did. We ended up moving to Dubai very quickly after um, getting married. And in that time, however, I've never been a person to sit idle. I mean, I always had something to do, whether it was studying or working or sewing, embroidering my jeans, making beaded necklaces, scrapbooking. I mean, you name it. I was a doer. I'm a real creative, very crafty type person. And so to get married and sit at home trying to find legal jobs and doing odd jobs was the worst. I just, it was terrible and I needed to do something. So it was actually my husband's idea. And he said, why don't, you know, you're so good with, with sewing and you love clothes and you love fashion. Why don't you do fashion for Muslim women? And I was like, you cray. What are you talking (laughs) about? You know, this is pre Instagram. This is pre hijabi Mm. blogger. It didn't Mm. exist. There were a few cool blogs that existed that were like how-to type blogs. Um, They, but this is the early days of even blogging, right? Like a Mm -hmm. hijabi blogger that we know today didn't exist in 2010. It just didn't. And to say the words Islam or Muslim with fashion was almost an oxymoron. It was like, no, you don't put those things together. And so I pondered on it for a while. And my husband was like, this is so stupid. Muslim women dress every day. They dress stylishly. They express themselves in their clothing. Who cares if you are making it modest or giving them great hijab options? They're going to wear it. Why don't they feel good in it? And it made a ton of sense. Wow. That's so he awesome. Was right. That because that. it's what I was doing. Hmm. Right. I was always dressing fashionably and stylishly and I was getting vintage scarves from thrift stores that were beautiful silks. So I didn't have to wear those terrible black and ivory hijabs from overseas. But I guess on a large scale, I was afraid because not everyone was like me. I was an anomaly. This girl who's always so stylish. Like I was voted best dressed in high school because it's something I cared about and it's something I was into. But I was the exception, not the rule. So I thought, huh, I know that so many other girls have an issue with just sourcing their hijabs like me. Maybe they're not fashionable, but they don't know where to buy them. So if we can provide that for them, then we're doing a great service. And secondly, if we can provide role models to young girls to look up to of women who wear hijab and are successful, because of their hijab and not despite the fact that they wear hijab, because that was the discourse at the time, then maybe our young girls wouldn't have such an issue with it. Because that was something I saw, you know, I was always a very, very active with our youth 
I led a halaqa while I was still in Michigan at the Unity Center, actually, every week for a few years. And what I was seeing was these girls who were in high school and some were in college, They, the majority of them were not wearing hijab, which was the complete opposite of my experience mm -hmm. at their age. Mm -hmm. The majority of us wore it, and a few did not. So there had been this real shift, and I wanted to dig into that, understand what it was, because I've always loved hijab. It's always been something that I didn't just wear. I embraced it. And uh, I thought that if I could help girls see the beauty in it and see others like themselves that they would aspire to be one day, maybe that would help. So we... We thought up of a name, an aesthetic, you know, what we wanted our brand to be. We did some graphic design work, put up a website with a holding page that basically said, coming soon with our logo. And then we got to work on Facebook. And this is when Facebook first started their business pages. So we created mm -hmm. a page telling people what we were about, what we were about to embark on. And immediately we had amassed this following. I think we got like a thousand followers in the first week, which gave me and Ahmed, my husband, the validation we needed to say, okay, we're onto something. Clearly, we tested the idea on Facebook. Girls are into it. And not only were they into it, they were still vocal about what they want, what colors, what fabrics. And we actually started as a clothing line actually back in 2010. So it was like modest clothing, modest fashion. And, um, They were so vocal about what they wanted. Um, and we continued with that clothing line. We ended up putting out our first line. But before that, we launched because we needed money for the line and we don't take out loans, right? So what we did was we put up a collection of vintage scarves because that's what I used to do. That's how I would find new hijabs that I sourced from across the country, cleaned, photographed in our living room and put up on the website every Tuesday. And that's how we launched the website. I still remember like the first homepage image we ever had. I just put these vintage scarves on the dress form and tied it in a cute bow on the neck and then had five in a row. And that was the homepage. And then you could shop. There's just like one page mm -hmm. where you shop 30 vintage scarves. And, and they that were gone first like day hotcakes. that we launched, <laughs> They'd every go fast. scarf sold out by the end of the day. I remember that. So, cause you basically, so you had like one, like one, it was one of a kind, literally. It was, it was one. It was wow. just one. And we did that for about a year, a year and a half, something like that. And with that money, you know, we sold them for $25, $20, $25 a pop. If it was if it was a designer, it was like $50. I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> because we were so used to buying our hijabs for on the street, yeah. overseas for like for nothing. Yeah. So a silk hijab at $25, I don't know what I was thinking. A designer Chanel for $50, I don't know what I was thinking. But, you know, I had to kind of get our community into the mindset of this isn't just your overseas crappy natty hijab. This is something mm -hmm. of quality. Mm -hmm. So with that money, you know, each week we then paid a, a fashion designer who we hired right away because this is not my background. It's, I don't have the technical ability to to sketch. I had the idea. Basically, we would sketch together. Then she would take that and create 
this, the first pattern and then a mock-up in muslin and then we'd source fabrics together and then she would create the first sample and then we would size grade it for every size and get fit models and it was a whole thing that I learned along the way but I definitely could have done alone. So that money went into paying her and then also paying for that line of clothing that we then produced in Chicago. Um, wow. And then it wasn't until we were in Chicago, this is probably like, I'm sorry, when we were in Dubai, maybe four or five years into the business, we said, we looked at our numbers and we saw that 70% of our revenue was coming from hijabs. And hijabs was a total afterthought. Mm. By this time now, we had we were getting fabric and making hijabs. So it was no longer vintage, one of a kind. And, you know, we had very modest inventory numbers. I mean, we didn't have a lot in stock because we were really trying to push our clothing. But 70% of our revenue was coming from hijabs. And so we said, bump this, forget clothing. Let's just be a hijab brand and focus on this one category because it's it's clear the customers have spoken. They need hijabs. Mm. They need to find beautiful, high-quality hijabs across all categories within hijab, whether it's every day or high end, your wedding day, when you're working out, if you're a physician and you need something with access to your ears, we need to be the company and the brand that produces and supplies you with that hijab for every touch point in your life. Wow. Actually, I really love how your husband was kind of like, duh, like, you know, why does it, I mean, I just, I really like how that, that he kind of I mean, you had it, you had that passion, um, but that he kind of saw that in you and had to kind of spell it out and saw that there was a... I know. I mean, that's really neat, actually. You know what it is? He he did not have a very strong Muslim upbringing. Um, he, was, he grew up in Egypt until the age of like 14. He came to America every summer because his oldest brother lived in Chicago. So he understood American culture throughout his whole life, then finally moves to Chicago at the age of 14. They did, they weren't, his family's not very religious. They weren't centered around a community or a mosque or, by any means. So he didn't have the limitations that our community puts on us. Mm. Right? Like mm-hmm. our community taught us and told us certain things about the way we were to dress and act and be. He mm. didn't have that. So for him, it was like, hello, it's obvious, <laughs> you know, and I really appreciated that because in I had I had let the limitations or the ceiling be put on me from our community that I shouldn't have. Do you and mean he like, allowed me to kind of break through that? That what do you like? Yeah, can you describe those limitations? Do you think it was that okay? We we wear hijab, um, but that it kind of has was, to extend it to was how the whole you... notion. It was like you know, if you wore hijab, I I just said mm-hmm. I had actually I was profiled by M.M. LaFleur about this. And I said, my best friend and I, when we started uh, when we started high school together, we were, it was a completely new high school because we weren't mm-hmm. going to our home high school. And new people were wearing hijab and we were very aware of this, the understanding that if you wore a hijab, you were demure, mm-hmm. you were timid, mm-hmm. you were shy. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you were... Um, quiet. You didn't ruffle feathers. That's, that was what, I don't know if very specifically, like nobody taught me that in Sunday school, but that was just the overall message that was relayed to us. Mm -hmm. That to wear, if you wore hijab, you were this 
quiet, reserved, shy. Like that was who you needed to embody. I hated that. Yeah. Oh, I think it's from comments too. Like, oh, she wears hijab. She shouldn't be doing this or that. It's like, I'm not an angel. I I hated (laughs) that. I hated that. And I have to say a lot of it is culture. Yeah. A lot of it is culture that Arab and Indo-Pak culture around women infused into very mistakenly into our identities as Muslims. Because when you look at the history of women at the time of the Prophet and you see these fierce, outspoken, aggressive warrior women who existed, and there's all types of women. You have that aggressive warrior woman and you have the shy reserved women. Women come in all shapes, sizes, types, and personalities, and you have to embrace whoever you are. But to put all of us in one camp that we all have to be this certain way, no way. I, I always fought against that. And for the record, my dad did too. I mean, he didn't raise me that way. My dad raised me to be, to use my strengths to my advantage, to play up my personality, to be outspoken, to be aggressive. My dad raised me that way, but Mm -hmm. our community was something different. Well, and I think also the stereotypes too. And the stereotypes also, sorry, like that, that Muslim women, like if you wear a scarf, that the assumption is that your dad made you or if you get married, your husband's making you wear it and that you and I spoke about this a few weeks ago at a conference that I I, very similar. And I was kind of like, um, I'm going to do everything I can to not fit not fit that stereotype that you might have of me. So it's like we kind of were getting it Mm -hmm. from two places from outside and from within. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, it's it's like. In in Desi culture, this the whole notion around like sharam and you know like I, I had a friend who growing up when she couldn't pray like when she was on her period she still had to pretend she could pray in mm-hmm. front of her brothers mm-hmm. because of that again that like sharam and that whole concept of, of like you know I hated that yeah. I hated that. Um, Arab culture too. It's like, oh, I, I, everything is, I, no, we don't say that. We don't talk like that. We don't walk like that. I, what are people going to say? I hated that. I wasn't raised that way. Like, although my dad is Arab and don't get me wrong. He is a, he is an, uh, Arab, uh, in the sense that he's a strict dad, but that cultural stuff, he never brought to the table. Mm. He didn't raise us like that. I mean, he married a Filipino woman. Like, you know, he was, open-minded in a way that a lot of my friends' parents weren't. So thankfully, I didn't get it at home, but I certainly got it in the community. Mm-hmm. Wow, so interesting. So how have, I mean, you've talked about kind of the evolution of the company, and how have you changed along with it? Now, like, we talked yeah, about kind of how it started, I, but yeah. And how has the business evolved, re- and how have you evolved with it? Yeah. So I've evolved. I've come full circle, I think. When we first started and I was still juggling my legal career and trying to figure out my footing in in the legal field, I did not fully embrace my role, what I was building, the huge lofty mission that I had, which was to normalize hijab in the mainstream, to basically make hijab mainstream. I didn't verbalize it to others. I played it down because I was afraid. I was a little embarrassed. I was a little ashamed that, again, it's what we're taught in our community. Like your value and your worth is tied to your profession. And if you're not a lawyer, doctor, engineer, what are you doing with your life? 
are you in fashion? That's cute. What, when are you <laughs> going to start a real job? And so I, that carried on to the way I thought about myself and what I shared with my peers and my friends. And I wish I hadn't done that. I wish that I had just stepped into the role earlier, embraced it earlier. We probably would have got off the ground a lot quicker. I didn't end up quitting my legal job until 2016. Now, don't get me wrong. I, you know, when we moved to Dubai, I was working as a law clerk at the international courts. I loved my job. I still mourn my legal career because it was my first passion. It's what I thought that I was going to do for the rest of my life. And it was the hardest decision I had ever had to make when I had to make the decision to either sell the company, focus on my business, uh, I'm sorry, focus on my legal career and just get that off the ground or quit my job as an attorney, probably never go back and focus on building this brand. And I had come mm -hmm. to a fork in the road where I had to make a choice because I could no longer balance the two. My, the business was getting so big and out of hand that I had to devote more time to it or it was going to start to to really fall through the cracks. And that was something I was unwilling to do. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I still really miss that part of my life. But I wish that I had more confidence in what I was doing early on. And again, I wasn't bogged down by the community's expectation or um, assumptions or you know, all those things that hold us back. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's just such, it's so terrible, which is why today I'm so vocal and I'm so outspoken about what I do. And I encourage everybody else to do their dream and to whatever it is they want to do, whatever it is that they're passionate about. It doesn't matter if it fits within this mold or this conventional quote unquote field that we as Muslims are supposed to go into. It doesn't matter. Just do what makes you happy. That's what God wants. Mm. He wants us to fulfill our life's purpose through the gifts and talents that he gave us. And so for a kid who is this, has this beautiful entrepreneurial spirit and is forced to crush that in order mm -hmm. to become a doctor to please his parents, in my opinion, is going against God's will. Because God put those feelings and those passions in him for a reason, not so that oh, he can, man. you know, That's go so into true. work as a, as a doctor and it's so crushing for him every day and he hates it, you know, and I, no disrespect to you, Dr. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm also in a field that's not, <laughs> you know, people you know coveted are, as like this, you know, competitive doctors field. should be doctors. Mm-hmm. Wow, so no, sorry, you were breaking up a little. I can't. I couldn't hear. What oh, sorry. Saying. I was saying I'm also in a field that's that wasn't um, like coveted to be like this highly competitive field. Like field. Like I went to um, right. someone I went to med school with. Actually, he was um, a friend, good friend of mine, um, Arab background. And I remember that he was. I mean, even he was in med school, but even his choice of what what specialty he was going to go into was kind of like influenced by like his parents, like kind of Isn't approval. Even the even within medicine, there's like a hierarchy terrible. of like what's seen as yeah. So no, yeah. it's beautiful. I really I love that concept. You're so that's so right. You're right on on that one. Um. So now also, um, I don't know. You know, uh, not all of our listeners are Muslim. So, you know, we didn't really talk. We're not. I don't think we're going to really get into it. But but uh, talking about like why we wear hijab and things like that. Um. There's you know other places I think where you can look that up and everything. But um. But I think that a lot of people might not also know that it's not just the your um 
hijab line and the fashion. Um, as I mentioned, you provide a lot of support for women um, that uh, that wear that are wearing a scarf, and that you, I mean, with your blog and um, you have like question answers. And sometimes, I mean, there's times I love your um, the articles and the blog posts that you put up, um, really addressing some issues that we really haven't that we haven't talked about that we don't talk about. So. I guess having heard from hundreds of hundreds of stories of Muslim women who choose to cover, um, I guess, first of all, you know what we kind of talked about this, what hijab is to you. Um, and, you know, that can be very individual in some respects. But what do you think hijab means, um, you know, for other women and based on kind of the stories and things that you've been hearing? Yeah, it's actually funny. We're doing this whole campaign right now called Hijab Makes Me Feel. Uh, in one word, and a lot of women have submitted their responses, and then we get a photo of them in one of our hijabs and, um, you know, post it with that one word. And you're getting all kinds of words from confident, empowered, secure, safe, unified, um, beautiful, confident. I mean, it's so beautiful to see everybody's response, and it is very personal and very different for each woman. I know for myself, I, for me, I felt something happening around the time of college in hijab. I could see and feel a difference in the way that people treated me and mostly authority figures, elders, teachers, professors, um, not so much students. Like we're Mm -hmm. all students, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't really get it that much there. But the way in which people treated me versus treated others, they took me more seriously. I commanded more respect. Um, People listened when I had something to say. I felt it. I really felt it, that I was looked at differently. And it was all positive things for me, thankfully. Um, Thankfully, I had not experienced a lot or any real blatant discriminatory comments or actions. Um, It was all very positive and I could feel it was like the hijab gave me the shield. Like automatically people just saw me for whatever I was saying. And it wasn't about how I looked like the hijab negated that. It like neutralized this judgment about looks because they didn't know what to think. Like, wait, uh, huh? Like, it's like they're trying to process because they're not used to seeing somebody like me. So all they can do is filter what I'm saying. And that was very empowering for me. And I felt like, yeah, like this was this magical thing I put on my head that gave me a leg up. Um, It always was such an advantage for me. People always remembered who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would be invited to give these talks. And I think a large part of it was because I had the hijab on. And I was just very articulate and a good speaker. And so it it was just so positive for me. Um, Something really interesting that we hear from actually non-Muslim who wear hijab, because there are a lot of those, if you didn't know. And the reason that they time after time, it's like the same story we hear over and over and over and over again from women who don't wear hijab. Usually they've been victims of violence, abuse, sexually, physically, 
mentally they've been they've like felt some sort of abuse not felt they've been victims of some sort of abuse and they said that the hijab serves as a protection for them something about it it just it protects them we get that over and over and over again and it's crazy it's like the same story each time mm-hmm. and you know Obviously, you can't say that hijab will protect you from any encounter of abuse. Of course, it will not. However, the Quran, our holy book, God is very clear about why we wear hijab. It's in order to be recognized as women of faith. So immediately, okay, that's a woman who has devoted herself to the um, practice of wearing the hijab for her faith. In order, so as not to be bothered or harassed. So as a protection, and that protection doesn't come because of what you're wearing. That protection comes from the recognition that this is a woman of faith, so I'm not going to mess with her. Like a nun. It's not because you can't see her body or her hair. It's because, oh, that's a nun. Like, you don't mess with that. Mm-hmm. She's a woman of God. We don't mess with that. And that's what it is. So... You know, when girls say, oh, but I dress just as modestly and you can still be modest without hijab. You can. And that's awesome because modesty is a very valuable tenet within Islam. But that's not what it's about. It's not just, oh, I'm modest. It's no, you are seeing me as a Muslim woman. You recognize I'm a Muslim woman. I'm a religious, pious, devout woman. And therefore, you're going to treat me differently. And I experience that all the time all the time. And so that, interestingly enough, is what we hear from non-Muslims who wow. who have no intention of becoming Muslim. They, they're not interested in Islam. They're not interested at all in our faith. They just wear it because it makes them feel safe, comfortable, and protected. Wow, I had no idea. So they wear it like, I mean, different ways or whatever, but like if they're walking up not the even they look like they literally look like muslim women wow. it's crazy but you know of course this islam doesn't own the hijab it pre the, the headscarf predates islam christian and jewish women before us wore it pagans wore it after you know religion had vanquished in the time that islam was brought down because it was just everybody co- women covered their hair that's just was the cultural practice for centuries it's only in the last, you know, 100 years, 80 years, that women have taken off the head covering, um, all women across the world. This is like a very new phenomenon. So they're just covering their hair in the way that made probably their Christian grandmothers did. And I know my Catholic grandmother, every photo of her, she has a head covering on. Mm. You know, it's not something new. So people get it, you know, it's like it's in their blood. It's in they it's familiar to them. Um, and yeah, we hear that story over and over again. It's really interesting. Wow. Well that leads me to one of my questions too was how I mean, I think you answered it, but I don't know if there's anything you want to add. How does your work appeal to women of all backgrounds and creeds? So that's one huge way. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, beyond the hijab itself, because um, of the non-Muslim women who follow what we do, a very small portion of them are like taking on hijab for themselves because they feel that it protects them. But I think it just, for me at least, what I think and what I'm hoping to do is it helps normalize the hijab 
Muslim women in a space where there are so many misconceptions and stereotypes about us. And so I'm hoping what I'm doing is demonstrating just by being me and being the CEO of this company that we are powerful women and we have our own voice. We have our own autonomy and, you know, we're just, we're like anybody else. Um, at least I know that's what some women who, who aren't Muslim have told me that, wow, you know, I never really knew a Muslim woman before and I didn't realize that you guys do these things. I mean, it's so simple. It's like to the basic humanity of who we are and really looking at our commonalities rather than our differences. And um, that's been really rewarding. Wow. Amazing. Amazing work. Um so interesting because it's like, you know, I've been following all of your work and I'm a proud and support, a proud supporter of Hot Hijab, but just to hear your reflections and the evolution of the company, but also like how you've grown and again, the impact that you're making on women everywhere that wear hijab and that don't and Muslim and uh, women that are not that are not Muslim. It's it's really fascinating. Thank you so, so much for for sharing your story and um and we can't wait to to share share this conversation, um, you know, with our followers and uh, and everyone that's interested. I think it's just really fascinating. I don't think that we have enough um, nuanced conversations. Like you know, as I mentioned, we're not really talking about why we were. Well, we you know, we kind of, of course, that's kind of uh, uh, incorporated. But um, I think it's just important to have kind of these nuanced conversations and talk about the complexities beyond just the black and white yes no questions. You know. So totally. I yeah, really appreciate absolutely. that and thank your you thoughtfulness. For me. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. I just appreciate your thoughtfulness and um wow, it's just amazing. Your work is amazing and I uh I know and I hope and pray that you will be even more successful because really, I mean, your success is kind of all of our success. Um and I really mean that. And I think for me too, as I mentioned, I wear a lot of hot hijabs and it is it's like the fir- I mean, I I'm really um it's a new level. It's a different level of being kind of proud of who I am. Um, I totally uh, designed my whole outfit. I'll pick a hijab that I like, a scarf that I like, and I'm like, okay, what goes with a scarf? And like the whole outfit kind of <laughs> like goes that. around that. That um, makes me so happy. That's oh, yeah. the best ever. <laughs> and yeah, same thing. I get so many compliments and comments. And yes, from all women, I mean, even women that, um, you know, I have a friend, for example, to say, like, I have a friend that has cancer she's going to start cancer treatment and i want to buy her some really pretty scarves where do you get your scarves from yeah. i always give the website yeah the website yeah totally we get that a lot too yeah yeah mm. yeah well thank you so much melanie again for your time your energy your insight uh, i really appreciate it um again just so honored to have you, you on and share your voice and to our listeners, thank, thank you. you so, me. Oh, you're welcome. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And please um, subscribe to uh, the show on iTunes. Follow us on the uh, website, podcastdetroit.com. Follow our Instagram page and our Facebook page for updates. Um, thank you, Jess, our sound engineer. For to say hi in the beginning. Thank you for being here. Um, we missed you, Calvin, today. Um, but I hope that everyone has a great day and, um, continue to be inspired and feel confident and, um, and good about whatever you're doing today. Thanks. Bye. 